Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Authors, I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's episode is with award-winning indie-published children's author Christy Nita Brown, who deep dives into how to self-publish a junior fiction novel. So in my author adventure this past week, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know a few weeks back I was part of a literary speed dating event that was run by the Australian Society of Authors where I pitched book one in my junior fiction series to an agent and a publisher. One week later, they let you know if you are a match. I wasn't a match for the agent, but I was a match for the publisher, which was Claire Hume at University of Queensland Press. So I've since sent my manuscript to Claire and like any submission, I'm not expecting to hear from her until three months. Three months from then. (laughs) That's what the ASA asked the publishers to abide by when responding back to us. So fingers crossed. It's also the CPCA Book Week opening dinner tonight and I was going to dress up as Mr Magoo, which is a dog from Brownie Stewart's uh, picture book, Mr Magoo, We Love You. Uh, But in true fashion, I've left it a bit late to organise, so I'm going as the lion from The Lion in Our Living Room, which is illustrated by tonight's guest speaker at the dinner, Brownie Stewart, and written by Claire Middleton. So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author adventure, this week I'm asking you to pay it forward and donate to a GoFundMe page which is set up in honour of some of my very best friends who are in the fight of their life. Stacey and Dennis Young, who have a young family, two boys, six and three, were given some devastating news last year that Dennis has stomach cancer. And despite their efforts to fight it with various treatments, they've recently been told his stomach is just absolutely full of it. He is slowly shrinking before our eyes as he can't keep anything down, he can't eat. Family have made a conscious decision to exhaust all options. They have consulted with a doctor in Germany who is offering some additional treatment options and they plan to travel as soon as Dennis is well enough. So Dennis is currently in hospital having to have a feeding tube placed into his small bowel to basically get food into him that way. So this trip to Germany is to buy Dennis more time with his family. He wants to make his son's seventh birthday in November, Christmas and his 40th in February next year. So I'll put all the links in the show notes. However, if you go to www.gofundme slash 4603 Dennis Jung's fight with cancer. Please share their post. If you can't donate or send them healing vibes, any support here is much appreciated.
Christinita Brown writes junior fiction about small characters who do big things. An author from Western Australia, Christy draws inspiration from her interactions with young people through her work in education, film and music, and as a household CEO. Christy's debut chapter book, Looking for Lily, scored second place in the CYA Conference's Aspiring Chapter Book for Younger Readers category and is available to purchase now via her imprint, Sprightly Press, and at her website, christinitabrown.com. Looking for Lily is distributed nationally through John Reed Books and the Australian Society of Authors Relationship. Super cute bio, Christy. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So in amongst working in education, you know, running a household, how is it you've came to be a writer and write in the children's junior fiction genre? I know it's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) If you've seen my videos, I'm a mum on the run. (laughs) Um, I have a background in film and television and I also have a background in education. (laughs) So it's pretty cool. I used to make films in Sydney and Melbourne and I studied film. I had this idea probably about seven years ago for a Sorry, it wasn't a book. It was a film script. And I showed it to a couple of colleagues and they were like, this would make an amazing book. And I was like, oh, so I'd never thought about it before. So that happened. And then at the same time that that happened, I was also um, just uh, giving birth to my first child, breastfeeding at night and watching all my friends on Facebook travel the world and getting quite depressed. So instead of looking at Facebook, I switched over to notes and I started to write story ideas and character ideas in the notes app. And so I would do this in the middle of the night and then the next day it would still be with me and I'd start to, you know, type away. So, yeah, so that's um, one, of, one of the other things that happened during that time period. And I pulled together a book, which, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. But, yeah, I had a finished book. Fantastic. So was that the original you had idea for the film or no, this was you just making oh, notes okay. through the night? <laughs> Yeah, no. So um, then making notes through the night was looking for Lily, which is the book that I've just released. Yeah. But the uh, <laughs> not many people know this. But the film script that I wrote is the book idea that I'm too scared to write. Oh, so I have it as a script and it's actually middle grade, but I feel like I'm not qualified to write it yet. I've only just learned how to write a chapter book over these last five years. So when I'm ready, which may be soon, hopefully, then I'm going to turn that script that everyone said you know would make a great book I'll turn that into a book it's a bit harder (laughs) yeah 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 I think jumping genres is there's there's different format isn't there for each one well we look forward to seeing that in the future (laughs) but congratulations on the release of looking for Lily it's absolutely stunning so you know we're finding out a little bit of how the process is forming can you tell us about the book and you know why you chose to go down the self-publishing route over say traditional representation no problem I'll try not to babble (laughs) when I start talking about looking for Lily I go off in all these kind of tangents because there's so many like little stories in my mind like the kind of backstory but basically the book it's a chapter book so it's for children aged six to ten ish it's 12,000 words in length approximately. It has 17 chapters and 47 pictures, which was quite expensive. And basically it's about these four uh, ragtag sprites. So sprites are probably, you know, kind of an inch tall and they're a bit like a fairy, but they're not like Tinkerbell. They're a bit more sassy, a bit more edgy, a bit more mouthy. <laughs> and these guys, they play heavy metal music. 
So they have little instruments made of wood chips and seeds and they like to scream a lot. And the reason why they play heavy metal music is because they're actually a little bit angry and a little bit scared because they've been displaced. They lost their previous home. And so when they were on the run from a magpie attack, they came to this dam, which is where the, the book is set, and they found a log and they decided that they were going to hide in it and live in it and, you know, try and get through life without being attacked. So they're in this log and then next to them is a dam and in the dam is some old rainbow trout, very old, very grumpy. So we've got the whole kind of next door neighbour getting annoyed with the heavy metal music while things are going down inside the log. So... Then one night uh, before a storm, Lily, who's kind of like the teenager, independent sprite, she goes missing. And so in the morning, she doesn't return home. And the other sprites, who are all kind of a little bit younger, they start to worry. So they have a look around the place. They talk to a few fish. They find out that she's been taken by a magpie. And so they have to go into the apple orchard to save her. And the book is that journey. It's the journey about these four sprites going in to this very scary apple orchard to save their friend. Wonderful. And do you see this as a series? I'd planned for it to be a series. So the story, uh, it has the 17 chapters and it ends kind of really nicely. Um, But there's an epilogue at the end and the epilogue introduces the next book. So yeah, it it should be a series. And I've taken the next six months off to write the second book, uh, but we'll see how we go. Amazing. Oh, that's great. So, wow. Is is any of it, you know, heavy metal and and neighbors next door, the inspiration from it, is it just being pure imagination or is it, you know, can you, does it come from real life inspiration as well? (laughs) Yeah. So the other thing to my background, I have the film and TV and I have the education, which is why I really like the chapter book format and how to write in that style for young kids. But I also have a little secret background where I had like five years of working in the music industry in Sydney in major labels. And I've been going to gigs since I was about, I think I was 12 years old when the first big day out came to Fremantle. (laughs) So I've been gigging pretty much for like 25 years or something. Wow. (laughs) And I actually used to play the drums as well. So yeah, I do have that kind of musical background. Oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> so you have, uh, you know, you have all that experience and then you've channeled it into the book format. So how come you've gone chosen to go the publish- self-publishing route? Because though some people might think it's certainly not the easier route. <laughs> No, it's not. And especially not now when it's out and released. It's not easy at all. Um, So I wrote Looking for Lily. It's kind of like my, I don't want to like discredit it, but it's like my practice book. So I failed English in high school and I didn't pick up a novel until my 20s. So writing Looking for Lily isn't my main idea. It's this other thing that I've mentioned, the big script. Um, So I wanted to practice with something. So I practiced with Looking for Lily and in my mind, I picked something that I thought I could sell to Scholastic. So I I had always written Looking for Lily for Scholastic. But the problem is about four years into the process, I found out that they don't accept unsolicited manuscripts. Right. So I needed an agent to be able to pitch it to Scholastic. And I was like, well, 
it's very difficult for anybody to get an agent, especially a newbie like me. So I decided, I, I pitched it out to a couple of people first, a couple of different publishers on Slush Piles and Three Kid Lit Vic. But I kind of felt like it wouldn't get picked up because it, it, it really, the content, it matches Scholastic, like that's where it would live. So yeah, so it didn't get picked up, which is totally cool. And then I started listening to the Joanna Penn podcasts which I know you love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> blown away with like everything she said about being independent. Yeah. And with my music history, working for the major labels, and I also ran my own record label, like a dance slash dubstep label. So I've released uh, vinyl to industry before internationally. And I have a background in marketing too. So I'm able to write a press release and go for stories and things like that. that- so pulling all that together in my head, I was like, well, Going independent just makes so much sense for me. If I can't get it on Scholastic, I'm going to do it myself. And so that's what I did. (laughs) Wow. Well, I've got to say, if if this is your practice run, pretty impeccable practice run because absolutely stunning. (laughs) And as for Jill Penn, yes, I've hit the 30 episodes mark. So I'm going to poach her to see if she'll come on (laughs) onto the podcast. Yeah, it's incredible. And so it's like, yeah, oh, thank you. It just gives so much information to authors and writers. Fantastic. It's great. It's a good share for everybody all around as well. So touched on that, you know, four years into the process, how how long has the whole process been from sort of big, I guess, from when you started writing the notes when you were up breastfeeding and stuff to, to now that it's out in the world? Yeah. So I was thinking about this today and the whole process took five years to do looking for Lily, but the first four years were really the hardest. That was where you do, um, you know, you write the first draft and you have people read it and give you advice. You do a manuscript assessment, then you rewrite, have another manuscript assessment, rewrite again. Like it just goes around in circles until finally people say to you, oh, this makes sense. There's not any problems anymore. (laughs) Yay! So that process took four years and, you know, in between that process of showing people, I was also getting a couple of little edits here and there. So I did that. Then the fifth year came where I decided I'm going to independently release. And that was a hard year because I had to go through all the other editing stages. And then I had to find a distributor. I had to work with an illustrator. So it blew out. I thought the process would take six months, but it actually took an extra six months. <laughs> and obviously uh, child rearing in between and everything else. So do you feel like that is why it kind of took so long as well? With yeah. Because of all your other commitments injected into it. So in hindsight, probably approaching this with nothing else on your plate, full-time gung-ho, six months might have been doable, but with yeah, everything totally. else, it's just, yeah, that's maybe the reason. So did you conduct any research or anything like that in terms of marketing? Did you start reading uh, junior fiction or anything like that? Did you ever put together a schedule of work? So you just sort of kept going with each little step until it was where it needed to be and then moved on to the next one kind of thing yeah I think throughout the whole process I kind of you know I picked up on what people told me so I've got lots of friends in the industry so I've got a really good friend Nat Amor who gave me a lot of advice and Katie Lafroy gave me a lot of advice so some of the stuff that they told me is to you know have people read it and give good constructive feedback and things that I could change so that process took a while So throughout writing, looking for Lily, I um, would Google things and I would check things. So in regards to the content of the book, I would do a bit of fact checking or whatever. So things like the waterways, the dam, the way that it flows into the pond and then into the creek, all of that I researched and made sure it was factually correct. And in the last year where I was doing a lot of editing, 
I spoke to some people at Seeds West and I spoke to uh, Rec Fish West and they advised me on little things like what seeds were too big and too small for these characters. Interestingly, I found out fish, uh, the rainbow trout males have like a hook lip and the females don't. So all that kind of stuff, that, that research that kind of happened in different sections of my writing. So as I was going with each draft, I'd make sure it's correct. And then towards the end when I'm getting close to publishing, I would check everything. So that happened. And then in regards to the process of, you know, writing and publishing, I spoke to lots of people. So I had lots of friends in the industry who would give me advice. So people like Nat Amor and Katie Lafroy, HM War. I'm in a group with some authors and we chat about things like that. So that helped a lot with actually, you know, how long realistically the process would take. And then manuscript assessments helped a lot and editing as well. They're almost like taking a course because you learn so much from the people that are delivering your feedback. And especially when an editor gives you links and information and says, this is why this is wrong and you learn something from it. So those stages throughout the writing were great too. And the other thing I did was I did two courses at the Australian Writers' Centre when I felt I needed them. So after I'm Looking for Lily was first written, I was like, what am I going to do with this? Like, what is it? And so I went to the Australian Writers' Centre and I did the um, chapter book course for six to nine-year-olds. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And that gave me heaps of like confidence. I was on the right track, doing the right thing. And then towards the end of the process, I did the Laugh Out Loud course with Tim Harris. And that got me to reassess my comedy and, you know, add a few things in that, you know, made it funny. (laughs) Ah, fantastic. So did you hire like a professional editor or just through all that feedback you got, that was enough to kind of, you know, make it where it is, or you did actually go through somebody for the editing? Yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd. I like, (laughs) uh, I like to get the best. So I like, I ask around and I bother people and I'm like, so who is the best editor? (laughs) What are the best courses? And who should I be speaking to? And I kind of hunt these people down. So I did that a lot. And I did that with the manuscript assessments. And I used Deb Fitzpatrick and Sue Whiting. Yeah. And then uh, they were fantastic. And they gave me exactly what I needed at those points. Like Deb was extremely supportive and was like, just keep going. You're amazing. Yeah. And Sue Whiting was like, this is terrible. What have you done? (laughs) And so she like tore it to shreds and exactly what I needed. I was like, yes. I just wanted someone to say what wasn't working. And so they were both amazing. Yeah. And then with the editors, I had three editors. I had two in America and one here in WA, uh, Ingrid Waltham. And she was fantastic. You know, I've already used her uh, on some other things and I'll use her in the future. And again, what I loved about her is her notes. She would tell me what I'd done wrong. She'd give me reasons why. And then she'd give me a link to, you know, how I can make it better. Wow. Yeah. Some incredible names there. We love Deb. We're a massive fan of Deb. She's been on before to talk about school visits and yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. What about the formatting as well? Have you attempt, have you bought like, um, like I do nonfiction stuff and I've invested in that vellum, but I tell you program to do it myself because I changed my work so much. I'm like, and in the past when I've, uh, independently published a middle grade book I used a formatter and if I needed to tweak something it was like a hundred bucks each time and I thought oh you know I've changed these so much and they're going to change in the future I need to learn how to do it myself but the process has not been easy (laughs) with the software so did you hire a formal formatter or have you attempted to give it a go yourself I think this one will come back and bite me on the butt later (laughs) 
because I am such a nerd, there'll be things that I want to change in looking for Lily. And my illustrator, who's amazing, Alison Mutton, incredible. She actually did the layout for the book and she did the EPUB version. So I have no idea. And amazing. I really am a person that should have learned that skill. So I see it in my future, <laughs> in the next probably six to 12 months that I will be like knuckling down and I'll have to hit you up for some advice. I know it's one of these really hard things, isn't it? But I think the thing is, like you said, it sounds like you've done the correct steps you know get it to the best it can be put it through the mill with the editors and then hit the formatting up and then never look at it never read it again (laughs) yeah that's what I'm gonna do um yeah (laughs) <laughs> the other thing with chapter books is that they don't really sell as an ebook because generally kids, the younger readers, they want to hold the physical copy. So I'm hoping that maybe I could skip that step, but I don't think so. <laughs> well, <laughs> possibly. And uh, so your your illustrator as well. How did you go about finding them? Again, was it just sort of researching, or again, was it asking around and then you know finding I that asked, person? Yeah, I asked around a lot, but I also read a lot, so. I really devour chapter books because that's what I want to write. Probably for the last five years, Crow Books in in Victoria Park has been making a lot of money out of me. (laughs) (laughs) I've got like piles of books and I'm one of those people now that has the pile next to the bed. Oh, yeah. I went through through all of those and I looked at all the artwork and I knew I wanted to use someone Australian because it was, well, the book is actually set in Donnybrook. So it's in the great Southern region. And I was hoping I would find a Western Australian illustrator, but, you know, I was open to anybody. And then, yeah, I stumbled across Alison through HM War and looked at her work and went to her Instagram. I spoke to some other people as well. And in the end, she just seemed like the perfect fit. And her illustrations at that time on her Instagram page were very similar to what I was looking for. I think she was doing mermaids and a few other little cutesy things. And I was like, oh, she could do really well. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, and they're all my concepts, the characters. Um, I was probably a bit tough on her, especially being a newbie, because <laughs> I was like, no, it's got to be this way. <laughs> and this kid is wearing these clothes. And, yeah. You know, it's the drum kit has to be perfect. I guess that's the downside of working with me, that the illustrator was probably like, God, I just, you know, I just wish she'd let me do my thing. <laughs> Uh, well, it sounds like almost, you know, self-publishing obviously gives you the control and you seem like, you know, you mm. that's that's been the best avenue for yourself, obviously. And you've, you've got quite a particular way of looking at it and detailed, which is fantastic. And it has, it's really paid off. It's such beautiful illustrations that's there. And oh, just, oh, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. So it seems it's been a long process, but what has, we'll start with what's been the easiest part of it for yourself. Mm, <laughs> has there been an easy part? Yeah, you might already know, you might be able to guess, but the easiest part for me is receiving feedback. Like I absolutely love the manuscript assessments and I love the editing process because I really enjoy when someone literally tears my work apart. I love it. (laughs) I feel feel like you're standing alone there. (laughs) I know because I'm a bit of a problem solver and like I want it to be perfect. So I know that sounds so naff and everyone's just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I haven't heard that before, really. Everyone's, that, that's probably for most people quite the most terrifying part oh. because, you know, they've, they've sort of put their all in and then they hear all this, this feedback. But I guess just, just from your background and being in professional industries and stuff, you, you're probably used to that. You can see how it yeah. makes things better. So no, yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I do love it. And I get jealous of those people that are on publishers especially when they say that their publishing company has an awesome editor 
and I'm like well how awesome are they and what do they do and like I'm just really jealous because I'm like I want to get in there and I want to find out what's going on (laughs) what they're learning and how they're like changing the books and that's probably the best part for me what have you found was the hardest uh everything else (laughs) (laughs) writing writing the book oh my goodness and it was really funny when I had my manuscript assessment with Sue Whiting like so much was not working so that was really um it was really fantastic to hear but then actually sitting down and trying to fix it was so scary it's pretty much everything besides manuscript assessments and editing I think that last year has been really tough doing the independent publishing I think that finding the right printer was tough. Every printer wants to give you a quote and then take your money. And then as soon as you've paid, they kind of just kind of send you whatever. Very hard to get a sample. Sample of someone else's book. Give you a sample of your book. And um, using local printers, because I guess like a lot of people, they go for Ingram because they do get the proof copies. They can order one or two or, or 500 at a time. So going local and using like local printers, Do you have to buy a specific amount in bulk? Yeah, you do. I got quotes for 100, 200 and 500 books. I'm doing a small print run of 500 Uh and I'm autographing every book and numbering them. So it's kind of like a special little, it was a pre-order for the first month and now it's off pre-order. I decided to use Quality Press in Welshpool, uh, even though they're a little bit dearer than going, say, Sydney or Melbourne because they were just down the road and I could basically bug them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, and I ended up paying, my biggest piece of advice is to pay for a sample print. Some printers will charge you like $100 for a sample print, but I was lucky enough for quality print to include it. So they said you pay the $100, but then it's included and minus off your bill. So that was fantastic. And thank God I did it because the cover wasn't center. You're right. Oh gosh. (laughs) On the shelf in the bookstore, like, you know, five millimeters to the left. Oh gosh. I know there's such a fine line, isn't there? Oh my goodness. So for me, it was really important to print in Australia. I didn't want to add shipping and uh, petrol and like, I didn't want to go offshore So even though it is a little bit cheaper and I'm sure people use it often, uh, for me, ethically, I didn't want to print offshore. I knew that. And so I received quotes from Sydney, Melbourne and then Perth. I paid a little bit extra to have it local so I could go down there and chat to them and everything. And I also made sure that it was on um, ethical sourced paper the fsc i think it is you might know better than me the little logo so apparently they know exactly um what forest the paper has come from oh wow Um, yeah and so when i get to a certain point of sales i'm actually going to donate some of my profit to carbon removal technologies through stripe so those things are really important for me when i chose a printer yeah, that's amazing. And I think really smart because especially in this this climate, you know, when everything shuts down because, well, has done in the past because of COVID and, you know, postage times and waiting on this and that has been, it's been horrendous for a lot of people. So yeah, and, and supporting locals always, we, we love that as well. <laughs> big, yeah. big fan of that. So no, that's amazing. So the book is out there in the world. How, how and I'm seeing you and, and I'm seeing it everywhere, oh, which is fantastic. Yeah. I, how are you finding the marketing of the book is, is, is this uh are you enjoying it or are you getting a lot of what I would call author fears arising from it? Because it's just, you know, there's so much spent time spent inside your own little world and then it's out there. And and I've found a, a lot of not stigma, but a lot of um feelings inside yourself can arise that you don't really 
you know you don't think about are you coming up against any of that like I guess kind of ah, like self-doubt or anxiety or just or just excitement are you just excited it's out there now and you're ready to share it and yeah to be honest I'm so tired (laughs) marketing something is so tiring but because I've done it before with my record label and with my background in music kind of removed myself from being the author of the product I just kind of see it as a job So in my mind, I have kind of like a release plan. I should actually dot it down. Like, um, you know, some dot points would be nice, Christy. (laughs) In my mind, like I've already got, like I know how long I'm going to stay with certain people to do certain things and then I'm going to move on to the next step to keep trying to sell books. So right now I'm in the phase of emailing uh, bookstores and I'm trying to make every bookstore have a customised email and talking to them about the release, but making it really clear uh, straight away, bang, bang, bang. So these are the facts about the book. So uh, lucky for me, which is um, awesome, it was second place with the CYA writers competition. So that has been amazing for my marketing. So prior to coming second, I could say that it was shortlisted and put that in the subject line and one of the very first points of sale in the emails. And then after I came second, I can now change my subject line to looking for Lily came second. And then that generates an interest because um, bookstores are like, oh, she's, she's won something. So it must be okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Highly, um, highly structured emails targeting bookstores, especially bookstores in WA because I'm West Australian, Illustrated WA, the editors WA, printers WA, set in WA, like it's 100% WA. Yeah. (laughs) Pushing for WA bookstores to pick it up. But, you know, then also thinking about the the independent chains like uh, Readings in Melbourne and also Dimmix, you know, Glee Books in Sydney. So I used to live in Melbourne and Sydney, so I know them quite well. You know, just knowing to go probably after the chains because my distributor has a small order fee, things like that. So, yeah, so I've been focusing on that right now. Uh, Coming second has been amazing because it's been able, you know, I've been able to do that and put that in the message. So then start speaking to primary schools about the book. Probably... In my local area, there's like eight to 10 primary schools. I'll drop in a copy copy of the book and meet the principal. I'll have like a little letter telling them about what I can do. I have a teaching degree and a working with children check. So maybe I could do a school visit, things like that. And then trying to move some books that way. And then after that, I'm probably in a bit of a scary zone where I'm like, you know, got some copies left. (laughs) Definitely not going to take them to the tip. No. (laughs) I've got to, you know, I might do some book houses. I might donate. It is such a cute little story. And the price difference between printing 200 copies and printing 500 copies was small. If I'd had my way, I would have printed 200 because I feel like I can move 200 and I almost already have. Yeah. But that going to 500 is a much bigger jump. So I, I did that. But now I'm like, oh, <laughs> so, so that's kind of where my mind is. Yeah. marketing. The other thing about it, it's very difficult to get like stories in media or, you know, reviews are very difficult because I'm a newbie. You know, I'm only five years in. This is my first release. You know, some people, you, they only have a certain amount of space on their website. So they give it to the, you know, the people that have been publishing for a while which is understandable because, you know, that's how people make money. Mm. Oh, wow. Yes, it did. That's amazing. And, and yeah, I'm I'm like 
tired with all the all the tasks you've got to do as well oh my goodness that's crazy but it sounds like you're out there and that's that's fantastic and it sounds like always almost as well you know you're you're drawing on all of your experiences and using everything and it sounds like everything's aligning so that's that's great that's so good so I feel like you've already shared so much with us already is there anything you've got to add you know some other tips for authors who are looking to self-publish junior fiction uh yeah okay so um I highly recommend doing the writing courses at the Australian Writers Centre it's it's been so great they're you know they take one year to complete you can do them as fast as you want and they've got videos so they've been fantastic um, I really loved the manuscript assessment process, like I said. Probably next time I probably wouldn't pay, I would try and find people that have good feedback for me within the writing community. So, and that's something that I've really tried hard to do in the last six to 12 months. I have some great friends that are authors um, and I've tried to connect with more Perth people that way. And as you know, you would see me at the event saying hi. Yeah. <laughs> so having a good kind of group of people that you're confident to show your work to, that would help a lot. All of those points are probably what I would suggest. Um, and then for the for the publishing, just please get a print sample and make sure your your cover is yeah. straight. <laughs> Yes, I think the printing is by far for me the formatting and the printing out of I'm trying to do the three lumen formats for my books at the moment and the audio is my forte ebook probably comes second and the print's like way down there like I've got about five of the same book with all these different sizes and covers (laughs) Yeah. oh it's mad it's absolutely crazy oh, but... you have to talk to me drop me an email anyone can email I'm oh. happy to share any knowledge that I have <laughs> oh thank you yes I am gonna do a podcast episode on on my printing adventure because it certainly was that and I've got a lot to share on that to, to help others <laughs> This is a hybrid author podcast and you're self-publishing with the, you know, that aspiration before with Scholastic and then obviously the film idea and you're, you're going to go with that. That's your main idea. Are you looking to go down the traditional route then and become a hybrid author for future thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Get rid of all the marketing. That'd be great. I think there's pros and cons to doing both. I'd love to like try with a publisher and then compare. And I think that if you're with a publisher for a while and then you change to hybrid, uh, sorry, back to independent, I think that could be really great too because you would have an established audience. Yeah, yeah. although I, I don't know if you've listened to uh, the Sarah Epstein episode that I put out and she is a traditional going into hybrid and putting her own out but because she writes uh, like, you know, suspense thrillers, YA, now she's kind of doing something different and she thought her audience would just follow her over but it's a bit different kind of audience so she was finding that but still I still think that you know you've still got a leg up I reckon Mm, Um, the benefits of like uh, independent publishing is like I have my own data Mm. like I have the database I have I know exactly who's bought my book and I'm like talking to them regularly yeah I find when I speak to my friends who are on you know big publishers and stuff they don't have any data and I ask them you know are you scared like what (laughs) happens if your publisher goes away like how do you connect with the audience yeah and all they have is social media and I'm like it just reminds me of when MySpace went down (laughs) and all of their fans like Bands with hundreds of thousands of fans, like overnight, their businesses were gone. Wow. Yep. So, what I really love about being an independent author is that I have this data. I can 
speak to the people that buy the book. So that's the only thing I'm worried about. If I went with a big publishing company, I'd be a bit like, oh, I feel like I don't have that control. Yeah, it's quite important, isn't it? The future for me, um, I've got the next six months off, so I'm going to write Looking for Lily 2. Yeah, so hopefully that works out. And then my big idea, I'm kind of like dabbling with that. But I also have done like a chapter book series, but a a beginner reader. So more like um, Billy B. Brown, Jack style, that kind of like more pulled back than Looking for Lily. So I'm probably going to pitch that to a few people and see how that goes. Um, But yeah, I've got a few little things on the go. Definitely looking for Lily for the next six months. Yeah. Oh, well, that's just amazing, Christy. We're so excited for you and to see what comes in the future. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Can you tell us again, where can our listeners discover you and looking for Lily and everything else on and offline? No problems. Well, I'm on christinitabrown.com and you can buy my book direct from my website. Uh, as I said, autographed, numbered, special little copy. Um, and then also I am discovering the world of Instagram. So Christy Nita Brown Books is me. And connect with me, say hi. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks again. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, folks. The audacious Christy Nita Brown on how to self-publish junior fiction. Christie's book, Looking for Lily, is out now and it's just simply gorgeous. It's a fun, quirky read and kids love it. My daughter loves it. I love it. We all love it. So go out and get your copy right now. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have comedian and children's author, Oliver Pomvan, who shares his secrets on writing funny. So that's it from me. Have a great week in your author adventure. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening. And I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.